And uh, hello uh, again, friends. Welcome to Swing Thoughts. Great to be back on the radio. Uh, it's actually sort of the unofficial beginning of the golf season, or traditionally it would be. You know, if it wasn't all, you know, COVID, lockdown, virus, doom, gloom. I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, along with uh, Tim O'Connor, who is a mental performance coach, a uh, the, the, the coach of the Guelph Griffins. He's a great guy. He's my buddy. And uh, this is season four of Swing Thoughts. Wow. I know. We're old I know. enough to have done this for years? Wow. You know, normally for you people who listen to us on the radio uh, today in uh, Hamilton and the uh, southern Ontario region, we do the podcast, I'd say, somewhat regularly during the off season. There's always something in golf that we find fascinating, Tim. But, you know, here it is, sort of our our second year running from now until around Labor Day, although we could extend it considering what's going on in the world of golf. We'll get to all of that, but it's great to uh, do our show as a podcast. You can always get it on iTunes, but of course today, kind of cool to be uh, broadcasting in the um, Golden Horseshoe. Yes, back on terrestrial radio, as yeah. we call it. I always feel like that. I feel like an alien when I say terrestrial radio, but there you go. Uh, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, f- so great to get support from them. Uh, don't forget they have performance labs in Woodbridge and Oakville. Visit TaylorMadeFitting.ca to book the ultimate fitting experience with TaylorMade's Master Fitters. And don't forget about the all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers. Reshape your game today. As always, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion family of tailor-made products. So can you get fit and stay congruent with physical distancing guidelines? Uh, that is uh, negative. Uh, this is uh, going to be... Here's the thing. <laughs> One, you could probably get fit remotely, uh, but here's the thing. Once all this starts to pass, and uh, just like the economy, golfers are going to be returning to the course like in unprecedented numbers. The pent-up... You know, we can mass Canadians, you know, at the end of a, a normal winter, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I will golf on days in the spring that I would never bother with come October. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like in October, if it's six degrees and windy, I'm like, ah, I don't think so. But in late, <laughs> I, I remember being in a qualifier with our friend Charlie Fitzsimmons about three springs ago. Uh, somewhere north of Highway 7 where there was little sprinkles of snow on the ground. And we're like, yeah, let's yeah. do her. Let's do her. Yeah. yeah. Well, my, my best memory of that most recently was with our uh, good pal, friend of show, Ronan Quinn. It was about four years ago. Uh, pulled into the parking lot at Blue Springs. The thermometer said four degrees. <laughs> there was... There's little bits of snow going like absolutely horizontally in front of me. And like I could barely get out of the car for all the layers. Anyways, it was, it snowed. We're standing on that second tee and you could see this wave of snow, like a tsunami coming at us and a couple of greens. It was like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like a rooster tail of snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so much fun. Anyways, um, 
it really was one of the most fun times I ever had on a golf course. And we were the third group on the course that day. That was but, it. But Three groups. To my point, though, you know, Canadians, once we've had a full summer of golf, you know, you know, our oh, yeah, our yeah, criteria yeah. changes. <laughs> Listen, oh, yeah. man, I've played in November here. I've played in December here. All, all I think will happen this year, depending on when golf is allowed back, whether it's June, July or August, those last couple of months, guys are going to be playing in weather they would never bought. It's raining. I don't care. That's right. Cats and dogs. Doesn't matter. Doesn't I'm matter. Going out. Uh, our, our very first show back on TSN, we're excited to have uh, as our guest one of the most distinguished voices of Canadian golf uh, over the last 30 or 40 years, for many years, the uh, columnist, the golf columnist for the, the Globe and Mail. He's written so many books. Uh, you know, I, can't, I don't want to name them all, but go look them up. Recently was named the recipient a couple of years ago, the 2018 PGA of America's Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism. He's uh, spoken to and written about some of the most famous names in our sport. Uh, most recently, the uh, Tiger Woods collaboration. Uh, for the 1997 Masters My Story. Lauren Rubenstein scheduled to join us uh, any minute now. And a very a pr- pretty decent player. You know, I, I think the last time we had Lauren on here, I've you know mentioned I, I played at the same golf course as Lauren for a you know, better part of 20 years. Uh, and a good player in his own right. Absolutely. I think Lauren was, I think, a three at his best. Like, the guy was a good player. Yeah. I think he made his way into was either the, I think it was the Canadian mid-am uh match play part. I think he got down to the quarterfinals, maybe even semis. Well, I played uh I played some tournament golf with Lauren and maybe we'll have him and I relive, you know, one of the greatest uh mental our by the way, if you don't know our show, mainly it's about the mental side of of golf. The name Swing Thoughts is kind of a play on words because we're not really here to tell you how to swing a golf club. Although some of the mental stuff that we're going to talk about uh, this season and in other seasons has a lot to do with how you approach your golf motion, but necessarily not necessarily. You're not going to get a, you know, a swing tip on this show, but I will tell you Lauren Rubenstein in a tournament we played together years ago, showed some of the most mental, (laughs) the most mental fortitude uh, that I'd ever witnessed in a uh, round of tournament golf. Was that the very famous um, double digits round? Oh yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is, this one, like like a lot of golf stories or fish stories or stories in general, the number Lauren made playing golf with me in a tournament. <laughs> I don't know if it if it was double digits, but I don't know if it was twelve or fifteen. But as I've told the story over the years, the number's gotten higher. <laughs> yeah, that, funny how that always happens. Oh yeah, uh, that's what what do they always say about golfers? Uh, the older we get, the further we used to hit it. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, my dad used to say, um, my dad used to say, you know, I really look forward to the time that my sons can hit it uh, past me. And now that that day's arrived, I'm not sure I like it so much. No, exactly. Uh, well, here he is. Uh, I, I I sort of have already given the big introduction to uh, to our guest. Who it looks like this is awesome because we're all on Zoom meetings now because of the. Uh, there you are. 
There he is. Now I see somebody's helping Lauren. <laughs> of course. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. That's Lauren. How are you doing, old boy? Uh, is that Nell? It is. Hi, it Nell. Is. It's Howard. Yeah. So it wasn't like a 15-year-old nephew or something yeah. who had to make it work for you? No, no, that's his yeah, wife. Yeah, no, he's got an old wife who's making it work for That's there. great. There you go. How's that? That's perfect. <clears throat> now, actually, we read, you're supposed to look down on him and, and backlight him. Don't worry about <laughs> I love this. You know, this is why I love our show because, you know, people are like, all the other golf shows are very serious and we're like, I don't know, let it happen. Lauren Rubenstein, Howard Glassman, Tim O'Connor, nice to see you. Can I drink scotch? Oh, it's only 10.15. <laughs> That's right. It's almost... So I, I, it. He's shaved. I shaved two days ago for you. Well, listen, man. To me, it's like this international travel thing. Like, you could go into, uh, like, an airport. You, do you want to have a beer at 8 in the morning? Hey, go for it. You know? Of course. Well, with the virus, we're all inside. It's like being at Vegas. No clocks on the wall. I don't know what time it is. What day is it? Uh, March 47th or something. Exactly. Uh, Lauren, just before we uh, connected with you on Zoom, I talked about, you know, your career as a journalist and Globe and Mail and all the books. Uh, before we get into some of the meat of what we're going to talk about today, what are you doing these days? What are you up to? I'm doing very little, you know, really. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm writing a book for Thornhill on the occasion of their upcoming uh, 100th anniversary, so they commissioned me to do one of those club histories. That doesn't happen until 2022, but I'm pretty well into it now, so that gives me uh, kind of some work to do while I'm uh, sitting at home here. Uh, and other than that, you know, we got four grandkids now, two in California, two in New York, so we're Zooming with them every day. Had a Zoom Seder with them the other night, you know, of course. Yeah, of um, course. But other than that, really, I, I tell my friends I'm ABR, all but retired. Uh, it's funny. You're, my family had a Zoom Seder as well. It was like 10 different panels open, and it was exactly like the chaos of all the Seders you've ever remembered. It's like, what right. What page are we on? <laughs> no, we, it, it worked out all right. It wasn't too bad. You know, it wasn't the Seder anybody wanted, but it's the one we have. So, you know, you do the best you can. Yeah, of course. And, and every time but someone brought I'm not doing much. Hey, Lauren, every time someone... Oh, Every time someone brought up another plague, we're going, plague? We got a plague right now. Yeah, we skipped the plagues, figuring the kids are maybe a little too young for it. We only did one, the current one. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, well, we're, this is our first show today back on uh, TSN uh, in Hamilton, and we, we couldn't have been more thrilled to have you as our guest. Uh, you've been on our podcast a few times. But uh, give us a, a couple minutes, if you can, on your thoughts about sort of the historic uh, context of, you know, canceling the Open Championship, never been done since World War II, Masters being postponed. You've covered the game a long time. What are your thoughts about how golf is handling this and where this is going to land in history? Well, I think it had to be done. I mean, you know, sure, golf tournaments and golf is played on a big, wide-open space. But, you know, unless you can guarantee 100%, that nobody is going to get infected, really. 
Um, I don't see how you can have a golf tournament, even if you had it without fans. I was down in Florida at the time on uh, whatever it was, the uh, the 12th, I guess, when they played the first round of the Players' Championship, and then they canceled it. And that's when it all happened, on March 11th, when the NBA canceled their season. And then it was just falling like dominoes after that. So I really think, you know, they've tried hard to develop uh, some kind of a schedule for the fall. But honestly, I really think even that's optimistic. You know, I, I personally can't see them playing in the fall until you're 100% sure that, uh, that nobody will get infected. I don't see how you can have a golf tournament. So I think they did what they had to do. You know, I was a little surprised that they came out with the schedule this year, I suppose, trying to give people a little hope. Um, and uh, But I, I don't see it happening. I hope it does, but I don't think they're getting the vaccine before the fall. Yeah, you know, and I think it's the same thing with just with <clears throat> playing the game. Um, a lot of people are saying, hey, you know what? Um, you know, we don't dance with our golf partners. We just play with them and we could stay away from them. And there are a lot of golf courses in the United States that are doing things to prevent best they can infection, you know, putting the, the cup liners up. So, you know, if you just hit hit the, the liner with your putt, it's a hold pot, putting bunker rakes away. And a, a lot of people are arguing that golf would be good therapy, you know, for people who are isolated and, you know, get them out of their heads and stuff. But um, my sense is, is that we have to be hyper vigilant. And just like you were saying, um, unless we can guarantee that people are not getting infected, uh, we're just better not to play this game right now. No, I agree. I mean, I'm surprised I still get, you know, some notices from golf courses in Florida because we left in kind of, of a hurry. We more or less fled there. We even left yeah. our only car there and flew back. Um, so we're without a car here in Toronto, but it doesn't matter. We're not going anywhere anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm surprised I still get the odd notice from from clubs down there or from golf now that there are some courses that are open. And yeah. I don't see unless you can uh, and even if they open up here in a limited way, people say, yeah, golf could be good therapy, but you can just walk in a park, really, you know, as well. If that's, is it golf? 100%. Yeah, well, you can walk in a park. Lauren, you can walk in a park, but people get a little bit, you know, peeved when you hit wedges over their, their kids playing. <laughs> you yeah, know. you better not do that. I'm hitting lob wedges. <laughs> uh, but let's just, let's say for the sake of a quick discussion here that come the fall, this schedule that the tour has put out where it would be, I, I think it was like the U.S. Open and then the PGA and then the Masters and the Ryder Cup. Isn't it, don't you think that, let's say they could do it. I don't know how they would do it with players playing those big, those championships all back to back. And my last part of this question is, do you think there would be an asterisk on a, on a on a win should like if you win the US Open and it happened the week after the Masters, is it the same, you know, gravitas? It'll be very different. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if they could guarantee nobody gets infected and they could run a golf tournament, I'd love to see it because you'd have so many big events except for the open championship, which has been cancelled, not postponed. They'd be coming one after the other after the other. And I think only in retrospect or after could we say if there should be an asterisk attached to any of it you know who knows there'll be things that'll happen that nobody even could have imagined mm -hmm. really with the tournaments coming one upon the other so it's hard to say right now but i don't think you know whoever won the masters or the u.s open or the pga it would uh, it would be bizarre it would be certainly strange but i don't really think that uh, i think it would count as much in people's minds as any other major i'm wondering how this virus might change people's relationships 
relationship with golf, period. I mean, uh, quite frankly, this time of year, uh, Howard and I were talking earlier, uh, just champing at the bit to come out. I'm fine with not playing golf right now. It's not really on my on my radar. I know that's a lot of people are they are they can't wait to get out, but I just wonder if people might, in a lot of ways, re- reevaluate the relationship with not only golf but sports and all the time that they give to watching hockey or things. I I just don't know. What's your sense of it, Lauren? Uh, they might, you know, to some degree, you would hope that happens. You know, the the emphasis on things that are external to the game. In a sense, they're external. They're not the playing of the game. You know, the emphasis on equipment and hitting the ball not five miles, that sort of a thing. Um, and, you know, kind of the social part of the game, which is important, I recognize. But, you know, it might not be as important to people or paying big bucks and bucket lists and all of that nonsense. You know, I've never had a bucket list. Fortunately, I've played a lot of golf courses, but that whole notion has quite often seemed absurd to me. And I, I'm like you, you know, if I don't play golf, and again, I, I totally understand. I've played a lot of golf in my life. And if I don't play this year, uh, you know, I'm older. I've got a pre-existing conditions. It's very unlikely that I'm going to go out there and play unless I have 100% confidence. And I think people might change. Our sponsors who are being corporate sponsors being hit hard now. And um, uh, the, the finances are so crazy right now in the economy. Are they going to want to pay the hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars for skyboxes at tournaments? Are they going to want to entertain at the, going to see the Toronto Maple Leafs? Are people going to care that much about whether the Leafs make the playoffs or not? Hold on a second there. (laughs) Easy now. Because, listen, I'm not a super Leaf fan, but people will care. Listen, they, if, if, they, if, if, they, if they said if they said to Leaf fans, there's about a 50% chance you're going to get some virus and, you'll, and they win the Stanley Cup, they would be there. But I, I disagree and agree with both of you. I, I think there's a lot of people listening that golf has a, a lot of meaning in their lives, maybe more than it should. But I think this virus might give those people an appreciation for, as you say, some of the other aspects of golf that aren't just, you know, going out and playing a hundred times a year and, and to see how low you can score. Because, you know, one of the things we've talked a lot about in the four years of doing this podcast is there's lots to appreciate about golf that has nothing to do with how you're swinging, how you're scoring. You know, one of the books that you wrote uh, that I loved, A Season in Dornick. Mm-hmm. And what I what I like about those type of golf books is it's about the appreciation of the culture of golf, the zeitgeist of golf, and not just the number you put down at the end of the day. And so maybe in the end, this will give us all an appreciation of what it is that we love about the sport, which is being outside with our friends because now we're not being allowed to do that. No, I agree with you. I hope that happens. I really do. I mean, I can imagine when we're totally cleared to go play golf and courses can open and maybe it'll be quite a long time before we can play it in the way that we did, you know, keeping the pins in, whatever, playing the game we knew and loved, that uh, I think it'll be a tremendous celebration. That first day at clubs around the country would really be something. People gathering there and they may not shake hands again or do anything like that. That's probably going to going to disappear mm. no but, more know, handshaking i'm a member of dornick there in scotland and um i like most of the international members as far as i know from communications from the club 
have re-upped and paid for their memberships this year, even though, you know, we all know we're not getting there this year. Yeah. But you do it to support the club. You do it because right. you love the place. And I'm sure that's happening at clubs across the country. So I totally agree with you, Howard, that, you know, the nature of the game itself is what attracts us to it. And it'll be a stripped-down version, perhaps, but we'll want to get out there and play. And I think we can't help but appreciate just that. How long that will last, we'll see. I don't know. How it will affect the companies. I've never been that interested, I have to admit, in the business side of the game. It's the game that has attracted me. So, you know, that's why I play with a half a set, and that's why I try to walk, you know. And, and, you know, for the fun of the game, the joy of the game, being on my own or being with my friends, you know, I hope that we'll all appreciate that, and I'm sure we will. How long will it last? We'll have to see. Yeah, well, I think what a lot of what we're talking about is connecting with assignment. Cynic has made very possible uh, what we know about is our why. Why do we play the game? And I think this is a great time for a lot of people. Maybe if you can't get out and play, is to take a take a good look at why do you play this game? And uh, to Howard's point, uh, a lot of people say, well, I, I want to see how good I can be. I want to lower my handicap. But I think if you take a kind of a deeper look or a, la- a layer deeper than that, you might be interested and surprised what you find is, oh, maybe it's back to connecting when I got introduced to the game by my father. Or I just love the sense of escape I get from maybe work or from my phone. So I think what we're talking about is is generally connecting with the why, the soul, why why this game resonates with us so much. No, I'm sure you're right. Uh, I mean, a tour player who won a couple of a U.S. and British amateur and a couple of tournaments on the PGA Tour, you know, he's, he's older now, but he once told me that nothing ever replaces the feeling of coming down the last hole with a chance to win if you're a competitor. And I'm sure tour players miss that. In the same way for guys like us, nothing replaces in golf the feeling of a well-struck shot of seeing the shot, knowing what you want to do, and hitting the shot. You know, we may do it fewer and fewer times as our games deteriorate and as we get older, but when we do it, it feels tremendous. And, you know, I think, you know, that's what keeps me going in the game. And I think, you know, in, in addition to all of those other things, but, you know, as I always say, I can I can walk in a park. I get a pure pleasure out of that. But yeah. walking on a golf course, carrying my clubs, picturing a shot, you know, scuttling some shot up there along the ground if the conditions permit it or flying it to a back pin. You know, all of those are the great pleasures of the game for me. And uh, and I think this notion of evaluating why we play right now as we're sitting in our homes uh, is important, and I'm sure a lot of people are doing it. You know, we'll just have to see. Um, you know, we're going to learn a lot about human nature. Oh, absolutely. You know, we I've still, uh, I still do the Humble and Fred show. We've been doing it every day. Uh, in different locations, but we're still broadcasting. And that that phrase you just said, you know, that comes up a lot, no matter who we're talking about. You know, we had a story on our on our broadcast about these kids going around, you know, licking groceries as part of a covid, you know, prank or whatever. And I said that to Fred, I said, what we're seeing, we're, we're seeing the best and the worst of humanity, because when as we know, in golf, when people are under pressure, you get to see what they're really like. And that's why golf's such a great metaphor for everything else, because, you know, we've all played in situations where you get to see the good and bad of humanity on a golf course. And we're seeing that, you know, realized in society now. 
Yeah, I mean, this is an extreme situation that nobody really, except a few scientists, could have anticipated. They knew it was coming and talked about it and wrote about it even years ago. But for most of us, you know, when I look back, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys, when I look back to what I was thinking about a couple of months ago, I mean, I don't remember ever the word occurring to me, pandemic, or I'm going to have to leave Florida early, not be able to visit my family in the U.S., that sort of a thing. So it's very, very different, and we're all really still in the early stages of adapting to it. Based on what the prime minister said yesterday, we're going to be in this for a long time. So we're going to have to adapt, you know, very creatively, I think, and we'll learn a lot about people. Well, I'll tell you what, Lauren, if you don't mind, we're going to have you hang on. We have to take a first break here on TSN. Uh, we're going to come back and do uh, maybe three or four more minutes with you, if that's okay, because we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Masters would have been round two today. We're recording the show on Friday, runs on Saturdays. And just sort of your thoughts about, you know, the comeback of Tiger Woods, your experience uh, interviewing him for your uh, the book in 97, and, and just a couple other things. Uh, we'll come back here in a second and, and more with uh, with Lauren Rubenstein. Are you, good for, are you good for a couple more minutes? I know you're very busy today. <laughs> very busy. Yeah. I'll sit right You'll find me in the same spot. Okay, perfect. Uh, it's uh, Humble Howard along with Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach uh, at O'ConnorGolf.ca. You can hear my show, Humble and Fred Radio, on TSN's uh, brother station, Funny 820. We'll come right back. As always, brought to you by Taylor Made Golf. And uh, welcome back to uh, Swing Thoughts on TSN Hamilton. Man, it's good to be uh, with you all in the spring, kind of the unofficial beginning of what would have been the golf season. The Masters are on, and... Our uh, fourth year of doing this podcast, our second season on TSN, along with Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, one of the uh, best mental performance coaches, as well as a great public speaker. If you need Tim for your next event, uh, motivational, empathetic, and a great facilitator of uh, all kind of things. And make animal balloons. He (laughs) He does. Uh, and, of course, you can hear uh, me along with my boy, Freddie, every day at HumbleAndFredRadio.com uh, on uh, Funny 820 and around uh, the province on various radio stations on the Bell Network as well as the iHeart Radio Network. Our guest today, for a couple more minutes, has written many, many books, but uh, most recently uh, spent a lot of time with Tiger Woods. The book came out in, uh, I want to say, 2017, Lauren Rubenstein. Is that not correct? Right, just in advance of the Masters that year, which it was meant to coincide with Tiger returning and playing after his injuries, but he was still not ready, so he still didn't play that year in 2017. So let's take us back. You spent some time with him uh, prior to the big back fusion, the comeback. You know, he went from a thousand in the world to the top ten again. Did you have any sense when you were talking to him for the book? That 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 was in the future, or was it was he done with golf? No, I never felt he was done with golf. I mean, you know, the image I have in my mind uh, as kind of a, a, a the underlying reason for that is sitting with him in one of the kind of boardrooms in his office there in Jupiter, working on the book, watching video of the '97 Masters, going over it shot by shot, 
him talking about it. You know, and as a golf nerd, you know, you would have loved this just hearing oh him God. talk about why he hit a particular shot, shots he said that were fantastic or really good shots that people wouldn't even think were so great, really, but why they were so, so good. So, and sitting there as he leaned back in his chair with a pillow behind him and his legs up on the table, clearly his back was bothering him. Then he hadn't had the, the spinal fusion yet. But you could tell that if he did get out there, and he always said this, and he was healthy and he could play the way he wanted to, that he would remember how to win. He would remember how to compete. It would be like Jack Nicholas. I was at the Masters in 86 when Nicholas won, you know, at 46 years old, which seemed older then. It seems like a kid to me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he remembered how to win. And he didn't have the personal upheavals that Tiger did or, you know, all the craziness that went on in his life and all of the injuries. But he hadn't been in that position in a while, and he remembered how to win. So I always felt if Tiger could somehow get in that position, yeah, he could do it. He could make it happen. And, of course, we saw what happened a year ago this coming weekend, this weekend. Well, that was one of the coolest things about last, like watching Tiger is that everyone else was self-immolating. Wasn't it four of the last six players rinsed their shots on 12? They went for the pin. Tiger, very smartly, went for sort of the less center of that green. On 15, the pin's cut left. He goes to center right. Even on 18, um, the pin was cut front left. He goes to the right. It just, I think, in knowing how to win, Tiger played to his strengths as kind of like Jack, one of the greatest course managers maybe in the history of the game. Yeah, I mean, Tiger was obviously so confident on that golf course and so confident on Lynx golf courses. He had almost won against Molinari uh, earlier in the year at the Open over there. And Molinari was leading the Masters last year by two shots and played with Tiger. And, Ty- and he, as you say, he um, he rinsed his ball on 12 there. I'm not sure he was going playing an attacking shot, but he certainly missed the shot. But Tiger was never going to miss that shot. He'd be 50 feet left of the hole if he had to. So, yeah, he just looked like he was in command of the situation. He was not going to make a mental mistake and try the wrong shot. He might make a physical error but not a mental error. And uh, he, he just, you could see him grow in confidence. You know, I have a picture in my mind of Tiger when he won one of his open championships at the old course. And I remember I was by the uh, 17th green when he came through and I, I happened to look at him through the, and it looked like he was 10 feet tall. It really did standing so high above the others. And that's the sense you got of him at Augusta last year over those last six or seven holes. He was getting taller while everybody else was getting smaller and sort of crumbling, and uh, he just asserted himself at the right time. And, uh, you know, he did what he had to do. Took a two-shot lead to 18, made a bogey, and, uh, and and won the thing. It was really something to see. Monumental win. I have a question for both of you, actually, because, you know, Tim has written about golf as a journalist and, and written some amazing books as well. You guys have both covered golf, and I've been, as you just said, a golf nerd my whole life. But I can tell you... <clears throat> When it when it was clear after he hit the shot on sixteen that 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 he was going to basically as long as he didn't pass out win this tournament, like I can tell you, I started to get emotional for for two guys like yourselves though that have covered it. it did did it have a similar impact? It did. It had an impact in the same way that getting out there in 2003 and watching Mike Weir win the Masters. I remember when he made a birdie putt from the front of 13 after kind of chipping it from the left side 
through the green, um, and he made that putt. And I remember his brother, Jim Weir, you could see the tears on his face, and, you know, I was getting choked up. And I know you're not supposed to do that as, as a reporter, but you do. There's not a reporter out there who wouldn't, you know, have some emotional investment in the kinds of events he's watching or she's watching. And that's how it felt with Tiger. Obviously, it was exacerbated by the fact that I'd gotten to know him pretty well over the years and done the book with him and knew what he'd been through. Uh, and uh, so it was just seeing him. Yeah, you know, you just hoped that when he had that little pitch shot to 18 after, you know, having to kind of play up short and right of the green, that he would just get it on the green and two-putt and win, and he did. It was really, yeah, it was it was an emotional moment. What about sure. you, Timmy? Oh, yeah, well, I was, uh, I don't know when I started, but I was standing <laughs> for, I think, the <laughs> last did. two holes. Me too. I couldn't sit. I, I, I couldn't sit in that little, you know, fetal position. I just had to move. Um, but not to the extent, Lauren, that you had a relationship with Tiger, but I had been a consultant for Nike for for 10 years. And I had actually been with Tiger and exchanged comments from time to time with him. And I was there in 97 when he won the first time. So I don't know. It's hard to put into, into words why, but I just felt this connection. But I, I, it was just something that was just I knew that this was an incredible story. And, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you about, too, is your sense of the story. I, it was, like, unimaginable. You can't create this stuff. Hollywood it won't, can't handle it, really. But the fact that how we all thought, that, well, many people thought Tiger was done. Many people on the record, he'll never win again. Majors, are you kidding? And for Tiger to come back and win his 15th major, I think it was, what, 13 or 14 years between Green Jackets? sense of story and, and how he was able to maintain that equilibrium, I think just comes people that, uh, how could you fathom it? But Tiger knows how to win. Yeah, he knows how to win, and he'll know how to win in November if they play it at Augusta and he gets himself in contention. I was thinking about this last night. Can you imagine it'll in November if they do somehow manage to play? It'll be 19 months that he's held the green jacket and won, and then he'll play there, and five months later he'll be back there playing. So you yeah. have two masters, two green jackets in five months, if it all sort of falls into place the way Augusta National and the golf world would like it to be. That'll be so, so strange, so unusual. Well, but, uh, yeah, as a writer, as you say, Tim, you root for the story. And, yeah. you know, obviously the story there was Tiger, if he was going to come through and win. So, uh, that, you know, that's what everybody wanted, really. I can't imagine and most people didn't. Even Brooks Kepka, who was right in it, really. Uh, you know, he put his ball in the water on 12 as well, but, uh, you know, four-time major champion. And it's not that he wanted Tiger to win, but in the way it worked out, he was very happy that he did win and that Tiger could come back. So, okay, uh, Lauren, just yeah. a couple quick things before we let you go. I'm not going to bring – the, the reason I always bring up the, the number that you made in the club <laughs> championship is I Never always – mind Tiger. Let's get to the I, story. I always look at that as the, the one of the displays of mental fortitude – one of the great uh, examples of <laughs> mental toughness where I you thought it was a great example of blading the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but for you people who don't know the story very quickly, we're playing the club championship together at the national. We get to the seventh hole. Lauren takes a double digit number. Now I've made the number bigger over the years uh, because it's, it's a better story, but I think it was a 10, 11, 12. Lauren says nothing, nothing which is unbelievable. Doesn't even bang his club. We go to the eighth tee, and we just keep on playing. We get to the 15th hole, which in the Nationals is a par three, and we have to wait. 
and there's a couple of moments where nobody's saying anything, and all of a sudden, after an hour and a half, he just goes, effing 12. (laughs) It was the great delayed reaction, but just that very quiet. I don't know. So... And I just want you to know, I tribute you as having such mental fortitude as to not lose your mind. But I have one last question. Uh, they've been replaying some of the stuff from, you know, Tiger Woods the last couple of years. And there's an interview that Curtis Strange infamously did. Oh, yeah. With Tiger Woods. We all remember where he goes. Tiger says something about I only I only show up to tournaments to win. And there's this look on Curtis's face kind of condescendingly saying, oh, well, you'll learn, you'll learn. Do you know if Curtis has ever commented, because I like Curtis Strange. Do you know if he's ever commented on that and or said, well, I listen, who knew, right? I can't sp- pick out a specific comment or reflection on that, but I know he has talked about it. And, you know, it's a long time ago. And he always just felt, well, look, you know, he's gone out to a different situation now. He'd seen it all before, but, you know, maybe he didn't know Tiger well enough or whatever. And, uh, well, nobody you know, I'm sure did. He wishes he hadn't said it, but he felt <laughs> he was being on. Yeah, but it was, but it was, it was a, a similar reaction to other players. I remember, um, oh, God, Sandy Lyle. Someone said, what do you think of Tiger Woods? And he goes, where's that? As if it was a community or something. Yeah. I never played that course. That was <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But, and, and to be fair to Curtis, Nobody could have, you know, no one could have expected it was going to turn out like that. That's what, that's no, my nobody point. Nobody would have expected he's going to come out, you know, and win a bunch of tournaments, uh, you know, after he turned pro so quickly and come out winning the Masters by 12 shots. Nobody could have predicted that. I mean, then the guy just, you know, is a once in a hundred years, 200 years player. And that's, uh, he's been fun to watch. I think Tim and I are very, very fortunate to have been around for the 20 years when he really played the best golf that maybe we've ever seen. And, uh, you know, there's, you can go back and forth who was better in him or Nicholas or Hogan or Snead, but I mean, it's been something to see Tiger do what he's done. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much. We're lucky to, uh, to be able to, from time to time, you know, lean on you as a resource. Uh, and I, I've always enjoyed the, the golf we've played together. You know, I wish I would have, uh, you know, enjoyed the environment more at the time. You know, I wish I would have understood how lucky I was to be out on, out on that golf course and, and playing at a pretty decent level because now it's like, you know, you say about, uh, now I call 40 year olds kid too. So, you know, yeah, well, here's, I'm not, okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to get my opportunity, so I'm going to take it now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very honored to have been named the Golf Ontario 2020 winner of the Lauren Rubenstein Media Award for, quote, contributions to golf. And so it's very cool, Lauren, to be looking at you through Zoom and to be able to say, you know, hey, thanks, man, for um, you were one of the key reasons I went into golf journalism. You were the must-read. I went to you every time in the Globe to look for you. And I went, hmm, I wonder if I could do this. And you and I had um, dinner in Augusta, and you said, hey, man, do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. So you were a key mentor. So a pretty interesting journey. So uh, thank you very much for for being there for me and being such an influence on me and many other golf writers. Well, you have significant contributions, and I only hope we'll be able to have that Ontario Golf Hall of Fame day in due course when things clear up and, you know, we can get out there. And so you can be properly honored in front of all of your friends and colleagues from over the years. 
Oh, thanks, Ben. Hey, Lauren Rubenstein, all the best, and uh, keep on uh, doing what you're doing. Thanks for uh, dropping in on our uh, first uh, show of the new season on TSN. And, and all the best. Mazel to the family, and uh, happy Passover. Thank you. Talk to some of All right, buddy. Take care. <laughs> Tim's like, yeah. why, why are they talking? Why is he speaking Yiddish? Um, you know, once I, I got to, he's, you know, just like you, Lauren, you know, has had access to some of the, you know, best golfers in the world. The, I remember him telling me a story about getting a, a chipping lesson in the locker room of some tournament from Tom Watson. And I said, wow, you know, that's that's amazing. I used to love playing with Lauren because he always had stories about his encounters with famous golfers. And he goes, well, it's it's not as good as you think. And I go, why? He goes, because every time somebody gives me a tip, I go out that's and right. try it. And my game sucks. Exactly. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I remember talking to Lauren about that, too, is that he wrote, uh, yeah, he wrote an instruction book with George Knudsen. He wrote one with um, Nick Price. Nick Price. And I think it's something with Jim McLean, I think. Oh, yeah. Logan Swing. And so I know exactly what he's talking about because I, uh, I did the Mo Norman golf instruction book. I edited a book on Ben Hogan's golf swing. And every time I would, have these really in-depth conversations, you know, in kitchens with golf pros and on the range and stuff. Okay, I've got the secret <laughs> exactly. now. I know it. I, I've written a freaking book about this. You know, here I come, scratch handicap. And then, nope. Nope. <laughs> Yet again, more, yeah. more knowledge does not uh, translate into better golf on the actual course. <laughs> you know, there was a phrase people used to throw around, I think, in the 80s or 90s, some... Well, you know, every, everywhere you go, there you are. But with mm-hmm. golf, it's it's almost like everywhere you go, there's your golf game. You know, it. the longer we do this show and the more, you know, I, I think about what really makes differences in people's games, the less it has to do with, you know, what's your physical motion at any given time because it changes from day to day. And I, I wanted to sort of segue to uh, something you sent me, and I thought it was really interesting. It's a friend of the show, a guy that you've been you're working with as your swing coach, a guy named Mike Martz. Yeah. And in that little clip, Mike talks about d- the, the shot informs the swing. And trying to form, make... Form versus function? Right. The, the yeah. Trying to... Make perfect swings and then fit a shot somewhere in there is sort of the opposite of what real golfers do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's some something to be said for block practice, and there's a, a point where, you know, you should have some basics. But even early on in a golfer's development, I think a lot of us would have been better off learning to hit shots and to shape them and to fit the swing to the shot that you need versus the other way around. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, timing of this conversation is that yesterday I was talking to a, a young player. He's a plus handicap, so obviously a, you know, a pretty darn good player. And over and over again, he kept talking about working on his swing. And I, I went, well, I want to invite you to take a, a, a possible – alternative or reframe on this and because his thing is like many players uh he's a plus but come tournaments he just can't deliver and 
he kept, so he kept talking about working on his swing and this, and I went, what if you just maybe did a reframe and looked at hitting shots? What if you did that? Because the key, one of the key points in Mike Martz's uh, video piece was, is that it's the shot that informs the swing. Yeah. That's where the swing happens. So what we're putting cart before horse, if we're thinking about whatever mechanical thing we're trying to do with our body, as opposed to, here's the shot. I want to, I want to hit, I want to hit a little knockdown seven here. And it's almost like our body goes, all right, got this. And it sets up, it, it does everything it needs to do without the brain getting in the way and basically throwing sand in the gears by trying to do too much. Uh, Golf Channel has, um, I'm not sure when they rebooted that series playing lessons with the pros, but I think ever since Golf Pass came along, the uh, pay portal, that, oh, right. that I, I know Rory McIlroy must have an investment in it because he's all over it and good for him. So they, they, but on, on the television portion, on the cable portion, on the Golf Channel, they had a two part series with Rory. And Brandel Chambly is now the host of the TV series, but they both referenced several times uh, going in and out of the commercials that more more footage and Rory's full warm-up session at Golf Pass. So I, 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 there's a method to the madness. But the mm. point of it is, Rory McIlroy, number one golfer in the world, and yes, he's technically pretty good, but he and Brandel talked about this, Tim, and this is why I brought it up, because cool. he all he... Because it was great to hear, and Brandel's a smart guy, so he, he was asking questions that I wanted to know the answer to. When you're setting up for this shot, what are you thinking? And there's Rory, and that's, I know a high handicapper, it's easy for him, but yeah. he's not thinking about how to swing a golf club. He is thinking about target, trajectory, uh, landing area, very, very specific mental cues, and as you just said he is then relying on the body to kind of deliver. You know, you put the input in, and 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 he says, McElroy says, he said, you know, it doesn't work out all the time, but no. kind of like what else are you going to do? You got some point, you just got to go ahead and hit it. Yeah, well, it's it'd be the same thing if I'm playing catch with someone in the backyard with a football, and they're running a crossing pattern. There's no formula. There's no way I can make my body do something by by forcing it. Okay, now I'm going to shift my weight forward, and I'm going to have my right hip come forward as my right elbow releases. No, there's just something that we're able to do in our minds that connects with our bodies that we just have this sense. If we put the, the, the ball goes out there, he's going to run under it, and he's going to have it. It's much the same in the golf swing. If we get in the and, – and the problem that we have is that we get in the way. And, of course, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we do this, the, the time. And just this weird golf culture that we're in about we have to do everything right. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, if we just kind of work on, on our shots and more that trusting that our body needs to do. But you also – sure, you need to have awareness of things like a ball position, uh, posture – uh, alignment because um, those things come into play and, and the more you play you get a, a, a greater sense of it yeah uh, I mean but, even the McElroy yeah. thing I, I thought it was interesting because they were talking about you know Brandel gave him three different shots you know kind of one under a tree another one and and he talked about what he wanted the club where he wanted the club to be and how he wanted to look at impact 
And and I, I thought that's interesting that, you know, he wasn't thinking about up here in his backswing. He was like, I want to hit this punch shot. So I need to put in my mind's eye where I'd like the club face to be in it. It's about the, it sort of reminded me a little bit about Shoemaker, a little bit about O'Connor, about an awareness, uh, an awareness of something that actually can impact, no pun intended, the golf swing. And I don't think a lot of people like, I don't think a lot of us are considering some of those things and that's where our blind spots are. We're thinking about, you know, other positions, but what actually hits the ball and makes it do things. Yeah, well, you remind me of two interesting things there of that. And that one is people have always talked about, uh, you know, like uh, Rory's a little uh, a little guy. I think what he's about five, seven or five, eight around there. But he hits the ball like one of the farthest players uh, in the world right now on who plays competitive golf. And a lot of people, well, it's because of his fast hip turn. Rory says, no, he never thought of that. Never. He doesn't think about hip turn. It's just something that happens. But the other thing that's interesting, too, is that Brandel Chambly was the subject of a firestorm for what he had to say about coaches. Yeah. Uh, in particular, he was criticizing uh, Mike McCormick. And um, everyone, even the PGA of America, came to the defense of, of McCormick and other people saying that Brandel was criticizing golf professionals. But I think there's a degree of truth in what Chambly says, and that is if we follow the model of do what the experts say, then we give up our own power and lose awareness of what we're trying to do. So uh, I love the way Chambly just oh, it just throws this match under this tinder dry area. But, you know, golfers in, in general are pretty, you know, I, I, I read all three. Sensitive, but A little bit sensitive. Listen, we're going to talk more about this on our podcast extra for UTSN radio people. Basically go to uh, iTunes and uh, search Swing Thoughts or Swing Thoughts Facebook page, and we'll continue the conversation. Thanks very much to, of course, uh, Lauren Rubenstein. And uh, thanks very much to TaylorMade Golf. Uh, Learn more about what's going on in the world of TaylorMade, taylormadegolf.ca. We'll talk more about the new sim drivers and such on our podcast extra. Have a great weekend, everyone. You'll hear more of us next Saturday at 11 a.m. here on TSN Hamilton. All right, here we are. The recording continues. Yeah, I know Shambly. You know, some guys don't like him, but I really like him. A lot like of people him. don't like him, but I a love lot of him. people like him. That's why he's the key guy in Golf Channel. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's. Uh, I love the fact that um, he's not afraid to go into sensitive places. But the guy does his homework. I mean, that's one of the things that makes him such a good broadcaster slash journalist. He does his research. He knows what the hell he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I love the fact that he's stirring the pot, particularly around golf instruction, because I, I honestly think that what a lot of 
happens with a lot of instructors who they they think they have the way they have the model you follow my model mm-hmm. you'll do it and and i just uh, i've talked to enough people uh and had my own experience that that a model just it, this plays to our worst instincts and, and particularly the, the perfectionist instinct that so many golfers have is I have to do this right. I have to swing this way. And when, and, and to me, that formula just has never really translated into someone who's owns their swing, who can call upon their natural abilities, uh, just like we're talking about and send this little white ball to that target when they are hyper aware of what they're trying to do as they do it. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know how many times we can have the same conversation, but it it's true today. It's the culture of golf, man. It's, right? it's been true, uh, you know, ever since we started having lunch that day at Club Link. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I, I uh, when I was in uh, Phoenix at uh, Marty Chuck's Golf School, um, one of the people I met there, I like the way they set the school up is that Marty sort of oversees everyone. And I had a couple of small sessions with him, but I was given a coach and just another guy and I worked with this one coach for three days. But the guy that I met that ironically is going to make the biggest difference on my golf swing is our guest from last week, Mark Williamson. Yeah. And, and why I say that is because the doing his golf yoga exercises and I, I'm being isolated I've probably done more yoga classes in the last month than I than I, nor- I normally go to yoga a couple times a week but I've been doing four and five of these a week and I can tell you little by little my my hips are starting to feel a little bit more open my awesome. shoulders aren't as restricted etc listen you're a fitness guy so this isn't new to you but to a lot of golfers especially in our age category Man, you you would you would benefit so much from being a little bit more flexible because the golf swing requires it. And I I didn't realize like like I'm even when I go out and chip balls around here, you know, like I notice that I'm rotating a little with a little bit more easily. And and you know if your body isn't ready and and malleable. It doesn't matter what you know f- technique you're trying. It, it's not. It's not capable of executing it. Yeah, and what's really interesting about what you're saying is through doing things like yoga or going to the gym and working on on things that are specific to helping you in golf, you also become more stable. Yes, you have to be stable in this game, which comes from strength and flexibility. Is that ability to to hold. To, to move in a certain way, but be able to hold the position, particularly dynamically as you're moving. So it's so important. And that's un- unfortunately what happens is, as everyone gets older, the, the more we sit, the more sedentary we get. And we start to just, you know, a, a natural part of, of aging is to lose muscle mass is that ability to be a flexible and be stable really deteriorates. And so I think that uh, maybe what this, you know, lockdown provides is, yeah, as you say, you're doing some more yoga. Um, I'm, I'm probably working out with the same anyways, but that opportunity to start looking at different avenues that you can in, 
improve your golf game and just feel better physically and even mentally from moving, uh, just connecting with breathing, escaping out of your head, getting into your body. That's just that's all really healthy stuff. Yeah, and I and I just want to uh, we'll get off to a couple more things in a second, but before we leave this particular subject, you know, like I I know you've been on a call with uh, and I'm and I'm going to pop in sometime and just uh you know say hi to some of my buddies on your uh your professional uh, Zoom meeting. I, I'd love to, but I, I just couldn't the other day. But I was on a call with 13 of my Glen Karen men's night buddies on Wednesday. And you know, you know what men are like. Guys are, you know, it's all, you know, joking around and blah, blah, blah. But I asked the question. I, and I, you know, I like to be a bit provocative and stir the pot. Stir it up a little bit. And I said, you know, okay, all that bullshit aside, you know, do you guys miss golf as much as I do? And they're all, that sort of, you know, like, you know, then it gets a little uncomfortable because I'm like, it's true. I, I miss it. I love it. You know, I, I love it. I miss it. Um, and I know the conversation we had with Lauren about, you know, what really matters, but I miss it. I miss, and I don't miss shooting a low score. I miss just the environment. I miss being around it. I miss the sounds of it. I miss the, you know, I, I like the way the grass feels, all that stuff, you know? Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah. And and you guys were saying, well, you know, this might be a time to, you know, realize where golf is in our lives. But I, I can tell you, I miss it where I miss where it is in my life, you know? Oh, what's the Joni Mitchell song? You don't know what you got till it's gone. Absolutely. That's right. And maybe they'll, and, maybe you're right though, Tim. Maybe there'll be a, a a bigger appreciation for it when we come back. Oh, I, you know what's funny? The other night, my son Sean, he's a music nerd too. He was playing a song that was just so joyous, and I went. He goes, "This is the song that our buddies are going to play when we get back together again." And I was thinking, like, oh, can you imagine what that's going to be like? It's going to be like freaking VE Day. Yeah. Uh, where people are able to come back together again and, and have fun and and just be with each other. And, yeah, Zoom's great. I, I've really enjoyed it. It's it's opened me up to new possibilities of connection with people. But that, yeah, being there, being able to smell the grass, um, just be with your buds. The, one of the things that I really miss, I miss the playing of the game. I also miss just going out on the range. Yeah, me and too. Just, just the fun of, of, of saying hi and the, and the needling and the joke. Someone says a joke and 12 guys across, <laughs> That's right. 12 guys across start laughing. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards sitting around having a, an adult beverage, uh, just because for many people, I know guys are kind of squishy when you talk about this, is that this is this for many, many people, men and women for sure is their community. Yeah. This is where, they it's not about what they do uh it's not about how they perform in other all areas of their life this is their place to come and just let go and be with people who they want to be with and do this thing that they love and the and there's just a beauty to that sense of shared experience and and just being with people who you like and having fun with you know, the more I talk about it, the more I start to kind of feel like, oh, I missed it. No, well, you know, I I uh, just want to finish up on this idea that uh, <clears throat> so where, you know, we've already mentioned when we're recording this. It's Good Friday, uh, the 10th of April. Uh, happy Easter. I know that's uh, 
How, by the way, how are you? How do you, like you heard Lauren and I talk about Jews getting together on Zoom and having a, a meal together. What's going to happen in uh, your world for Easter Sunday? Is that like a big family meal? And Well, um, well, I'll tell you specifically what I'm doing. Um, so uh, I'll try and be brief. About three weeks ago, um, I called our parish priest, Father Vernon Boyd. And I said, Father, I might be late to the party here, but what's the church doing in terms of trying to broadcast the Mass to the parishioners? He goes, nothing. I went, really? Nothing? And I said, hey, I got an idea. So grabbed my laptop, drove to the church, and we put the laptop on the altar. And I said, I got this thing called Zoom. <laughs> I think we might be able to do something here. So it connected Sandy, my wife, is at home. And he goes, Hey, yeah, this is pretty. Let's do this. So we invited 10 of our friends, you know, people who go to our church. Okay, tomorrow at 9, Sunday, we're going to do the Mass, an experiment. It worked great. The next Sunday, we had 97 computers connected wow. to the to the broadcast. So, what, 140, 150 people maybe? Last Sunday, Palm Sunday, a very big deal in the week before Easter for, for Catholics and for all Christians, we had 155 computers, so maybe 220, 230 people. Amazing. Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, who knows how many we're going to get? So it's a, it's you know, so it's that sense of, and, and why to me it was a big deal. It's it's people coming together as a community. Yeah, I mean, for that's sure. The great thing about you know, you guys talking about what Jewish people do. I'm Roman Catholic. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. It's the community that we have. It's the shared sense of experience. No, I think that's brilliant. Now, are you? Is that all on your Zoom account? It is. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, because I, we, I, for humble and Fred show now, uh, we just we use the professional account, which is what you've been using. But I, I was reading about it. I thought you could only have like a hundred. No, I upped it. Uh, I added the fifty dollar upgrade. Nice. So now we can get upwards of five hundred people. Wow, man. Well, I think that's beautiful, and I hope that uh, you know that it all works out. You know, oh, I, tell you, it's funny. Just so I'll be real quick. Uh, anytime you've likely done PowerPoint presentations and keynotes, there's always this degree of anxiety yes, <laughs> that the technology will this work? Will this keep working? So as the mass is going on, I'm standing about five feet away from Father Boyd. Um, and the whole time, it's like, fingers crossed, please, please, please keep going until the Mass is over. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're standing next to him in a church, why not just throw up a little uh, prayer? I mean, come on. Seems simple. <laughs> oh, thanks for that reminder. Seems simple. <laughs> Isn't that, uh, what is it, blessings, uh, prayers go up, blessings come down. And I hope there's uh, a multitude of blessings upon ye, Brother Tim. Thank you, sir. Yeah. How'd you like that through that little Bible reference? Hey, I love, uh, but I love the uh, the prayers up, blessings down. I, prayers I've never go heard up that before. Thank Are you kidding? No, I never heard that one. Thank you. That's a very Christian thing to say. Prayers go up, blessings come down. And um, so love Sunday, uh, as I mentioned on the uh, the regular broadcast, um, GFR Rachel, my woman, is uh, going to be gone for the day. I said uh, the uh, last round of the Masters starts at 12.30. I said, I just want you to know I'm going to have my spits and my ginger ale, and I'm going to watch the whole thing all over again. And well, I, why not? It'll, you know be, it'll what's be great. You know what's pathetic? Great. Here's what's pathetic. I've been thinking about it since Tuesday. 
I've got nothing. I've, uh, oh, that's great. It'll be song. fun to relive it. It'll be really fun to relive the whole thing. I have a song for you as we say goodbye today. Aww. It's by a uh, guy named Bill Evans. I'm not sure if you know who he is. And the song is called Peace, Peace. And I wish peace upon you and your family. Aw, thanks, man. And to you and yours in this time, uh, and particularly you've got a daughter in New York. Oh, at yeah. the center of uh, worry yeah, she's around fine. the whole virus thing. So all the um, best to you and yours this uh, Easter weekend. Don't hang up yet. Just uh, have a listen. Okay. Okay. 